Hello, this is Richard Tang's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. It hasn't started yet. This is just the little bit I do at the start to make the people who are just listening to this for free feel a little bit guilty. If you want to pay for these podcasts and help fund loads of future comedy, I want to do stand-up shows. I'd love to be able to do sitcoms on the internet, but I can't do that because they cost a lot of money. If everyone who listened to this just would buy one single video podcast, uh, we could probably afford to do uh, a whole sitcom uh, on our own without any interference. You are the producers. You are the the commissioning executives your £3.50 can go a long way to helping us so if you feel like contributing if you go to www.gofasterstripe.com slash podcasts you can buy a series pass for buying nine podcasts I think it is and maybe ten even including the Pappy's one for £15 or just buy a single episode for £3.50 if you can't afford to if you don't want to pay that's cool just listen to this podcast now it's going to be great See you in a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Left Square Theatre. Here's a man who's going to sing a Queen song and then do a shit on stage. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Don't stop me now. Uh, Welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Or as all the cuckoo kids calling it, Rahel Estabach. Yeah, the cuckoo Wow, you've changed. I'm going to say you're much better than last week's audience, but look, what's happened? It's like Shrek. Literally, it's like a very attractive woman has turned into a rugby-playing man. And a quite attractive man has turned into a Norman... What's happened to the... I hope they haven't got divorced. We're going to honeymoon. They're going on honeymoon tomorrow. tomorrow. Wow, good work. What, because I sexually harassed the. the, 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 How did you get into these seats? Oh, that's nice. How did you you get chosen as the recipients? We were sitting at the back looking depressed and glum. Oh, I was sitting at the back looking depressed and glum. Um, So you now have to take over fly duty. So if you're not staring at my crotch during this show. I promise I'll do my best. Okay, good. It's, it's actually, I'm finding it more sexually arousing being you than... I, you know, it's, you've opened up a world for me that I didn't know was there. Um, and it's great. Thank you very much for, for coming and supporting uh, the uh, podcast. And um, uh, thanks to everyone at home who has pay, paid uh, to watch the video. Hello. Especially for you. Uh, it's, I'm really pleased with the way it's going, and thank, thanks so much. It's uh, been, been an amazing series so far, and it's not over yet. Uh, so uh, there's plenty more to come. But uh, what I quite like about this as an idea is that you kind of become the commissioning editors of this show now. You, the listeners, and you, the audience here. As long as you kind of come and see it and, and pay for the, D- the videos, it kind of exists. You're like the you're like the fuel, and I'm like the flame, and we both <laughs> we both become warmed. But if I, if the fire doesn't light, then you don't pay for it, and it gets I have to stop. Doing Doing it. So it's, uh, I quite like that democratic process. So if, you've, if you have enjoyed these at home and uh, you, you want to keep them going, even if you just bought one of them, if you can't afford to, I really don't mind. If you don't want to, I don't mind. But even if everyone who listened to this bought just one of the podcasts, we could do some amazing things and we'll put all that money back into making new comedy. Uh, so that's just a little message I wanted to say. Uh, but thank you very much to everyone who has contributed so far. Um, and in the news this week, it'll be quite a long time ago, because this will be coming out at the weekend, uh, but I saw Berlusconi. Uh, did you see the pictures of him? He's been found guilty of having sex uh, with someone underage. Though He's not ever going to go to prison, uh, partly because he can just keep the machinations going, partly because I'm not sure that he isn't just now being played by a man in a Berlusconi mask. If you... <laughs> <laughs> His face does not look real. There's nothing behind his eyes. I think he's just paid probably a 17-year-old prostitute to wear a mask of his face. So 
he'll just be out swanning around. Uh, I think it's pretty hard to libel or slander Berlusconi by, by saying, uh, if I say he hasn't had sex with some 17 year old prostitutes, then he'll sue me, eh? You know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, yeah, obviously that's rubbish. Uh, he, he probably doesn't listen to this. but he's got lawyers everywhere. Uh, and uh, look, we're gonna crack straight on. Uh, he was making a cup of tea backstage, it's gonna be rock and roll. I remember when, we're back in the early 80s, we used to gig together, it wasn't the early 80s. Uh, we were on cocaines, we had, uh, had a few arm heroines, that's what we were just on. The old lung cannabis we had. Now he's drinking cups of tea. I'm sure he never took drugs. Will you please welcome... I, I certainly didn't. Will you please welcome the incredible Mark Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. From Saturday Zoo. He's from Saturday Zoo. That's what he's best known for. <laughs> Hello, welcome. You can Hello. take that out Hello. and use it like a, a comedian would. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm, apparently, though... Berlusconi yeah. has fucked the Bishop of Bath and Wells. <laughs> three for three. <laughs> now we're going to get sued by the Bishop of Bath and Wells, who only yeah. has sex with children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how dare you imply I'd have sex with a man that old? <laughs> Even though he has the face of some creature. He has. Uh, he's he's got some, if, if they did a sort of Doctor Who sex perv, series he would have that mask it, it is yeah it's great. I mean he's like his own spitting image puppet <laughs> yeah. could that work could have could maybe Jeffrey Archer did just sent his spitting image puppet to prison for him well, that, Jonathan Aitken there was that great because my my wife used to work for spitting image oh, right, yes. and because you know there's a period of time when loads and loads of, of brilliant writers were, were working on spitting image and uh, there was that great story, the, um, Roger Law, who used to run it, who was this great, fantastic, stoned, bearded artist. <laughs> and uh, somebody, Hesseltine, wrote in and said, can I buy my puppet? And so Roger Law said, wrote back and said, yes. <laughs> yes, you can buy it. And Hesseltine went, fantastic, how much? He said, 700 pounds. He said, brilliant, who's the check made payable? He said, CND. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that. I'm sure I've said this before, but I got into a bidding war with, uh, me and Stu got into a bidding war uh, for the Michael Winner uh, spitting image puppet when they were selling them, because he looks exactly like, uh, uh, well, his then manager, my still manager, John Thode from Avalon, looked very much like the, uh, the Michael Winner puppet. And, and how much were you in? Well, we, we started off, we thought, no one will buy this. We put, I think we like on about 20 quid, it was looking good, and then it went up, and then we kind of, we kept bidding, and we went up, and who was... What's going on? Who'd want a Michael Winner puppet? It went up and up and up, and we got over about 200 quid. We went like this, now it's too much for the joke. Really? Uh, and later on, I realised that we found out Michael Winner had bought his own. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, Michael oh, Winner. Oh, oh, Michael Winner. It's it, really horrible it and spooky, is, isn't it? But it the was, thought of him <laughs> masturbating over his own puppet. Because <laughs> that's what he was doing. <laughs> but he would have been really excited because he'd have thought, oh, there's someone else yeah. who really wants my, wants my puppet. That, yeah. If you we want me, been... you've got to pay, bitch. <laughs> if, he, if it wasn't for us, he'd have got it for five quid and would probably have been really unhappy. So he made, in his final years, and it was quite a long time ago. Uh, so, <laughs> um, uh, have you been? You've been all right? Yeah. yeah good. That's, that's my first question. Um, good. Good. I've got, I've got uh, uh, Edgar's questions there. That's no good. Uh, I'll answer them. Well, in fact, I've got way back. I've got the problem with it. I've got this in my uh, Slytherin notebook. <laughs> I don't like Harry Potter, so I bought the Slytherin notebook to 
I see what you did. Yeah, to show that'll show J.K. Yeah. Rowling. <laughs> yeah. Can you speak parcel tongue? I don't, I don't know. I can't. Can you do it? No. <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> So you couldn't understand it. I'm not really into Harry Potter. I don't like it, as I said. Um, <laughs> one of your uh, party tricks I'm quite interested in that you could do as a child was to recite the first, the beginning of the New Testaments. Is that true? Because that's something I do. I could do the. I could do Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Deuteronomy, Joshua, oh, Joshua the actual... Samuel, uh, Amos, Obadiah. Jonah, Micah, Nahab, Epicut, Zephaniah, Hepicut, Zephaniah, Malachi. That I started at the beginning and ended at the end. Then. Right. Because I can do Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas, bread and Judas begat Pharaoh and Pharaoh's of Tame, Pharaoh's begat Ezra, Ezra begat Aram, and so on. Uh, <laughs> if you want to see the rest of that, buy Christ in the Bike on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you could do. Did, I thought no, you might be. Some, you did might, you have a very religious upbringing? Well, a little bit. I, you know, my, my parents. You know, my, my, my they went to church every week, and right. we had to go to church quite a lot. And I didn't like it. Um, they were as the same with the teachers, but they were quite religious. And yeah, and I, and I was. I was very early on became sort of suspicious of it. In fact, that thing, that routine that I did came from being like eight years old and saying to my mum, why is um, the genealogy of Jesus, it comes through Joseph and Joseph isn't Jesus' dad. Yeah. So why that doesn't make any sense? Well, yeah. my mum went, um, no. Mm. Uh, and so at that moment, you know, that was one of the moments I thought, well, you can't answer this I question. had a moment when, because uh, we used to go down to this place called Church of Nazarene in Clapham Junction. And it was a real sort of Wesleyan, happy, clappy thing. And they would ask the, they'd ask the congregation and say, would you stand up and would anyone testify for the Lord? And it was one of those awful kind of moments where everyone goes, mm, not really. <laughs> and eventually, this, I remember this bloke standing up and he just, he was, he was from Suffolk or somewhere and he stood up, but for some reason he was in Clapham Junction. And he stood up and just went, I remember seeing Jesus. The first time I met Jesus was on the pier in Bournemouth. <laughs> I went out. We'd sung and we'd prayed and I didn't feel quite that Jesus was with me. So I went for a walk on the pier and I felt a presence at the pier as I looked into the sea. And I turned around and there was Jesus next to me. And like, even at the age of six, you go, on a pier? <laughs> In Bournemouth? No. <laughs> He's everywhere. So it's got to be... No, but there's an arcade there. <laughs> He's delighted about that because he, he would have to... been there on the penny falls going in again. <laughs> he doesn't need a pier though, does he, Jesus? He can just walk on he the sea. He could walk on it. He could. So that was the fault in his argument. <laughs> but we I'm taking a get... day off. I'm having a day off. Leave me alone. I don't want to walk on the water today. No, I just want to stand on the pier. <laughs> we had we had this Sunday school teacher though. They used to get these um, visiting pastors come down, and I think I was six or seven, somewhere like that, and the. Uh, this one pastor would do magic tricks and then do parables. So he'd sort of go, if we look here, we put the hankies into the box and then say the magic word and I'd pull them out and now they're red like the blood of Jesus. Just <laughs> <laughs> some terrifying magic trick. And he finished off by saying, he got this chalice and said, I'm going to do a magic trick and all you need is faith. Faith's the most important thing. And he tapped this chalice, pulled back the cloth, and there was loads of money. There was like loads and loads, it was full of pennies. And, and, and he said, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this into the collection plate and pour it into it. And I just went up to him afterwards and just went, can anyone do that? And he said, yeah, all you need is faith. So I said, do I need a special one? He goes, no, all you need is faith. I said, do I need any magic words? He goes, no, I believe. That's all you need. 
So I run home. <laughs> right, and my dad was self-employed builder, so I spent an hour in the cellar with a tin, a, a, a Henry Winterman's half-corona tin, and a bit of stick from the wood box for an hour, and emerged an atheist. <laughs> insane thing to tell him. No, but he thought he was doing good, going, what you need is faith. It's like, no, I'm, I'm this old. Come on, I need money. You didn't, you didn't believe enough. I'm going to, obviously. Try, if you believe enough, that cup of tea will be full of pound coins. Might, might have a obviously, bit of we're not concentrating. <laughs> if you'd been a Catholic uh, magician, it would actually have been the blood of Christ that would have come out as well. So that's been a terror. My, my great, uh, my great granddad was a Methodist uh, preacher, I think, who, and he had. Um, this is where the ventriloquist dummies came from that were later used by Stuart Lee to masturbate my 19-year-old flaccid penis. <laughs> But originally, those ventriloquist dummies were made to spread Sorry, the Sorry, I just missed that. Could you just say that again? <laughs> just, uh, just so that I got it right. When Operation Utree comes in in 2030, because they're working on a backlog, right, okay. so it's going to take a while to get round to the people yeah. of the 1990s. So obviously, they're, they're doing Rolf at the moment, yeah. and then they'll go, go through, they'll yeah, go through and they'll Bill get Oddie. To, get to Stuart Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Oddie hasn't been done yet. I know. Okay, that's just, I just thought we'd make, make that All clear. I'm saying is, so does the Bishop of Bath and Well. <laughs> but with a name like Bill Oddie, it's kind of... That's like hiding in plain sight, isn't it? Uh, but... <laughs> as the uh, viewers and the fans of this podcast will know, uh, when, I was, when we first went to Edinburgh, I used these ventriloquist dummies that my great-grandfather Methodist... Uh, he wouldn't have even wanted them to be used in the way I was using them for, like, a comedy skit. They're these hundred-year-old ventriloquist dummies made of papier-mâché. And one night I was crying... Uh, we slept on a Masonic lodge, funnily enough, in Edinburgh, on the floor. We right. got, and, and I was crying because of something, uh, something or other. Uh, and Stuart tried to cheer me up with by masturbating me with the hand of. <laughs> I like the dummy out. He thought that would cheer me up. Did it? Yeah, it didn't, didn't cheer me up. Did you look and see this tiny papier-mâché hand yeah. going up and down? And you, yeah. That's why we... Did you say, Stuart, you <laughs> are a good Stuart friend? I didn't know was doing it. <laughs> I told him to get off, I think. It's, you know, I think I kind of submerged that down, and then I didn't... To be honest, if he hadn't admitted it, I would have just thought I'd made it up, but he did... He did, on, on film, he admitted it. So it's there, the you evidence is You need there. your own personal line, <laughs> like a telephone line for your story. <laughs> That's my, maybe that's why he wanted the Michael Winner puppet. Nice callback from Andy McCage there. <laughs> got nothing, Andy. Got nothing. That was him. That was him. The black was the man who said that. That is the reaction of the audience. <laughs> no, don't laugh. Don't laugh. It now looks like that's the reaction. They could cut that together to make him look like the funniest man <laughs> that's ever lived. So. <laughs> are, you on, are you on Cockwatch? <laughs> no, he's not Cockwatch. No, I wouldn't. I, no way. I'm letting him look at my crutch. <laughs> for a whole two hours. This guy, he's looking out for just... It's all right. Once I'm sitting down, it's okay. Because even if it flaps open... We, later on, we might just let... We might air our old old man scrotums. We, we might guess. air our old man scrotums. There's the song men. that Paul Robeson didn't sing. <laughs> Get them out there. Old man scrotums. <laughs> they get bigger. It gets bigger. They're like, you know, like your ears. Get bigger. Get more wrinkly. When I was a kid, my scrotum was just smooth as a baby's bottom. 
Um, <laughs> I, for some reason, I've got a vision of your scrotum there that looks like a baby bell waxing. <laughs> a baby bell. It did, you can unwrap it. Could you just pull the thing? Wouldn't it be quite good? <laughs> I mean, you can pop out and that would come to full wrinkled glory. <laughs> sort of like... Well, it is sort of that's like a conker that you're thinking of, and they are quite like conkers, aren't they? They are. I think, you know, that's probably how testicles evolved. I'm guessing. Uh, that, like, a mouse or something was eating a conker. Yeah. And then it accidentally got caught between their legs. Then they're just, they're two things adapted yeah. came together, I'm guessing. I haven't, haven't had Richard Dawkins on yet. I'll ask him. I'll ask him that. If he listens to last week's podcast, he might not want to I was a bit rude about him last week. Um, anyway, you wrote for Dave Allen. One of your first was that? Did you meet Dave Allen? Yeah, he was a fantastic bloke. I, I, I should say, but, um, when I when I wrote for Dave Allen, I was really bad at it, and I just wanted to be in the room with him. Yeah. I just wanted to be in the same room because he was a genius, and he uh, and it was the one time my dad really thought that I sort of had got a proper job. Once was when I did a gig with Barry Cryer, <laughs> and the other time was when I. I wrote with Dave Allen. My dad was like, oh, he was very good at doing well. You know, so that was... Yeah. But Dave Allen was just... Um, he was just brilliant. He was just... I just remember sitting there with him and I'd forgive that... Because I, I adored him. I thought he was an amazing performer. And he'd have that, you know, the, the little finger so he'd brush away. And he'd do it all the time. <laughs> just... And we'd just sit and chat and go, sir... And he'd just tell these incredible... He goes, my wife... Uh, please forgive the accent. <laughs> my wife, my ex-wife, was an alcoholic fucking murder at fucking Christmas time. She was fucking pissed. All the kids had to sit around the fucking Christmas table singing this fucking figgy pudding song. Fucking figgy, figgy, figgy fucking pudding. The fucking thing come in. She'd come in. This thing was so full of alcohol. You'd put a match to it. It would fucking go boom. And then fucking reduce in size. <laughs> and and I, he was great. And he would just be chatting away. And I remember him sitting there just going, he said, I, I was just sitting there at the said can we go and play with the toys and I said yes and all the relatives start oh in my day it was different in my day we had manners in my day we sat around the table in my day we had proper manners and we respected our elder and I said actually there are manners here today because it's only manners that's stopping me from telling you to fuck off <laughs> and so I just had sort of like an hour and a half private audience with Dave Allen left and said I think I'm writing with him and it was great I, I really yeah yeah he's an amazing mate I, I once uh, well nearly met him he came to see when I was at university University, I did a play, uh, A Month in the Country by Turgenev. Right. I had a very tiny role in it, but I, was, I managed to make it, you know, I, I sort of slightly hammed it up and stole, stole the scene by being this uh, kind of country bumpkin peasant. Uh, and, uh, but after the, after the show, we were kind of walking back up to the dressing room, and he obviously knew someone in the production, and he kind of walked up the, the stairs past me and then we saw us it was me and another quite hefty guy who would double act in the thing and he went oh here come the heavies and then they went and then went up the stairs and left us behind but that was no, my moment that is affirmation yeah <laughs> I, no, he had the when he did his his show at the, he did a, a, a show a live show at the Aldwych and he was amazing he had the best finish I've ever seen for a show and what he'd do is he'd finished up you'd have this uh, the spotlight and the, the stand and the mic stand there'd be a, a chair, bar stool, and champagne and some glasses. And did you ever see the show? It was amazing. No. And he just went, he said, look, I'm going to go now. Before I go, I just want you to know I don't do encores. 
okay? I just don't do them, they're phony, they're fake. A lot of people, you know, they go off and they finish on a big thing and they go off and the audience go mad and they come back and go, oh, I don't normally do encores, but since you're so special, I'm gonna, you're not special. <laughs> you're fine. It's work. You're fine, don't take it personally, <laughs> but you're not special. Thank you very much. Good night. He goes off. The fucking crowd go nuts. And just, ah, no, clapping and shooting. And it just builds and builds and builds. And there's just this spotlight on the mic and the, and the spa stall and the champagne. And they go, ah. And just when it reaches its height, he walks back on stage. And of course, it gets even louder. And the crowd are like, yeah. And he just walks up, picks up his glass of champagne, goes, cheers. And fucks off. <laughs> genius ending. Genius. It was, it was a great, great stand-up. It kind of feels like you... So what year was that? That would have been the... Uh, oh, do you know, I can't remember. It was a while ago. It sort of feels like two... I mean, I know, because obviously I lived at the same time as he did, because he walked past... Oh, he was performing... It, um, it was during the... Uh, it, was, it was must have been 1991 that I saw him in the Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was when you were working with him after that? Or no, after that I was yeah. working with him, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, have you ever tried to suck your own cock? <laughs> Not for a while. <laughs> I think I probably did when I was about sort of, uh, sort of eleven or twelve yeah. or something like that, and just discovered the joys of erections. Yeah, um, I, I probably did. I, I used to have the. Um, I used to have Olympic runners up on my wall, pictures of Olympic okay. runners. So I think it's almost inevitable that I did. <laughs> that this was, that, that, I've suddenly realised where I'm going with this, that this is really bad and I do apologise. Uh, when I was sort of 12, I think that's probably the nearest I had to kind of like porn was pictures of Olympic. Okay. I can understand if it was long jumpers because there's a bit where they're kind of up like that and they're... Actually, you should ask that of a long job. Have you ever sucked your own cock even by accident in training? <laughs> a, a triple jump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be sandy. <laughs> <laughs> have to dry it very thoroughly before they jump, just to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> so, uh, quite, quite, what's quite annoys me about uh, journalists, amongst many things, uh, is that they kind of keep on going on saying there are no political comedians anymore, which, uh, yeah, someone's gone <gasps> in the audience. But they do, that's, that's kind of an off, that, that's a regular kind of article where they go, where are all the political comedians, where are the people doing stuff? And yet they don't seem to notice that there are, is, they there's just have loads. Yeah, there's, there's loads. just loads of, of really good young comics, actually. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's really exciting to see, you know, when you go out and, and people like, like Josie Long, who, who, you know, he's not really a, a young comic anymore. Uh, you know, in fact, I didn't mean that in that she's really old. <laughs> oh, she's got a face like a herring's ball bag. But the, the, the <laughs> didn't mean it like that. Uh, I mean, she's been, going, she's been going for a bit. But people yeah. like her are really exciting. People like, you know, people who are just appearing on the circuit day in, day out. People like Tiffany Stevenson, who are really interesting, clever uh, political comics. And that's really exciting to see. It happens day in, day out. Nat Tapley, who's great, right. who does, uh, he does this uh, character called Sir Ian Bowler, who's like this Tory MP, he's absolutely <laughs> marvellous. And he, I was doing a benefit gig with him recently, and he came on as this Tory MP. He's fantastic, because he just comes on and goes, We've all lost someone. We've all lost someone, the lady. We've lost the lady. I'd like to pay my tribute to her. And he gets out the W.H. Auden poem, Stop All the Clocks. 
and Reed stop all the clocks for Thatcher. It's fucking brilliant. It's he was amazing. And people, you know, there are a whole load of people who appear on the on the free fringe. You know, like yeah. Chris Coltrane, all those guys who run the sort of lolitics, which are political clubs. There's lots of stuff going. And on. there's also you as well, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, but, but you know, but you you were doing and, and like sometimes I saw an article once where someone was going, you know, there was about one somewhere one of the comedians that's been imprisoned in Iran or you know one of these countries going, why can't British comedians do something like that? And you're going to go well because it's quite hard to do that. What's well, being imprisoned in like, Iran? You're not, yeah, you're not really a proper comedian until you've been killed for your jokes. That's been quite, for your that jokes. is quite a Catholic approach to comedy. <laughs> Once you're dead, we'll deify you. But you know, you've been for, for you know. 20, 30 years been been doing political yeah. stuff and getting I think I think part I should of say as well when you said you know I've had a real I was sitting there today thinking fuck I was listening to the news all about the um, about the police spying on the Lawrence family and all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah. and you just think fuck this has gone on for so long and, and I started to think oh god this has happened when I started thinking of all the stuff that I've been involved in and and all this is just true and I think I've, I've come out sort of fairly well of it you know, um, in the fact that I still quite like some police officers. Um, that's true, I do. They're quite, you know, um, they're quite nice, some of them. But I sat and thought, oh, fuck, it started with, um, when I was doing the, the Mark Thomas Corporate, we did a, a programme where I asked for all my data, my data protection, and we found out that there was a cabinet, there was a minister of, uh, of trade called Dick Caborn, who um, we actually got released the papers that said, from a civil servant, that said the minister has asked for us to dig for dirt on Thomas so he can rubbish him. So he like had this, you know, I was, I was thrilled. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've got, you've got a Labour minister asking their civil servants to, to act illegally, to dig for dirt on you, and you just think, well, that shows I'm doing my job properly, you know. Uh, but then after that, we had this really weird thing where um, there was a, I was working with a group called Campaign Against Arms Trade, and they were infiltrated by a spy, by BA Systems. Uh, and it sounds kind of slightly fanciful, um, but there was a chap who actually infiltrated, and I knew him very well, he became a friend, and he used to stay at my house, so I knew his wife and his kids, and he was properly exposed as a spy for BA Systems. Um, I was sitting in the room once where we were having a meeting about, we are trying to, because we have these light-hearted little meetings where we go, <laughs> can we take the serious fraud office to court for the collapse of the bribery and corruption trial between Saudi Arabia and BA Systems, um, which we did. Um, in fact, we had a benefit at, at Hammersmith for it. It was great, because you know that front bit at Hammersmith where it's got the fact where you put all the tiles? We had benefit to put the serious fraud office in the dock. <laughs> Which was just great. Um, and, and we were sitting there in this meeting, and suddenly the phone call comes through, and um, it's from our lawyers. And they say, we've just had a call from BA Systems lawyers to say we appear to have got your side's legal defence. So they had all of our, our, our kind of legal strategy. Yeah. Uh, and that's quite a no-no. <laughs> In legal terms, that's kind of really bad. And so they volunteered to give it back. Um, and they were taken to court. And they've, BA Systems are now have actually pledged in court not to spy on activists, nice. which is really weird. So you've got all this stuff that's been going on. It's actually been going on for years. And you end up with this situation thinking, we've had all of that. I end up getting... I was... Um, Stopped and, illegally stopped and searched, we took the police to court, uh, and we actually won compensation, which is, um, I got stopped and searched, and we, it was deemed to be an illegal stop and search, and we took the police to court, and they paid 1,200 quid 
And at the time, I was walking the length of the Israeli barrier in the West Bank for, the, for this project. And we used the 1,200 quid to help pay for some of that walk to fund it. Yeah. And so when I came to do the, the live show, we had a big poster with walking the wall. And at the bottom, it had financially assisted by the Metropolitan Police. <laughs> <laughs> But you tell first of all, was the spy's family his actual family or were they one of the families? No, they that, were. They were, they were <laughs> family just created. Just no, no, he, it, it really was. He, it was his family and I went round to see them after it all came out. Yeah. And his wife was we were very friendly, you know. We, we Did were, she know her husband was a spy? She just broke down in, in tears. Right. And it was just, it was really, really sad because he, he'd not made a huge amount of money. <laughs> you know, it's not the career. If you're looking for a life of, of riches, a, if you were a spy, that would be great. That would be amazing. That man. would be. That would. You'd be a brilliant spy if they've got you, and they. Because I think you know that you would think you're on the the other side. Because I've seen something you. strange might happen to Richard. <laughs> And none of you saw it. <laughs> do you worry that? I mean, do you worry because you are pissing a lot of people off? And, uh, and really getting in there with some very, very powerful people and making stuff difficult for them. There's this guy in America, uh, Michael Hastings, this journalist who's been in this, uh, he kind of exposed one of the army guys in America, very news at 10 here. Uh, <laughs> he, and then he's, he's died. <laughs> he yeah, that journalist who did something. He, he did a thing, but then he's been in this, this his car, he had a car crash and died, but he had a car crash that was where his car was completely on fire, and it was just—it seems to have crashed into a lamppost and just gone. So he's like completely. Well, know, it, sometimes they don't recall stuff. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, do you, it's, it's, you, you can get wound up into that kind of conspiracy world. Yeah. You know, and I remember a lot of doing. Uh, ages ago, I interviewed David Shaler when he was sane. <laughs> and, and he was a fascinating chap yeah. but now he's kind of gone into this sort of transgender David Icke role and he's quite fucking nuts and you can see why though yeah. when, you know, when you're sort of on the run and you have to he was in France for ages and then was jailed on false claims, came back, served prison sentence here Yeah, and you know, and they are all looking, listening to one of our emails yeah, and conversations it does turn out and there are spies everywhere <laughs> <laughs> and they're spying on, I mean the, the Lawrence story is unbelievable it's unbelievable that they, they're trying to discredit the family of uh, Stephen Lawrence so it, it that they does can strike cover up their own mistakes. Absolutely. I mean, it does strike you as absolutely fucking incredible that you've got a situation where actually very few people actually have much institutional faith in the police. Yeah. Because, you know, you just think, well, that every time they get caught, whether it is, you know, Jean-Charles de Menes and or, or, or whether it's the Lawrence family or what have you, or whether it's Hillsborough, you know, the first thing they do is try to cover up their own tracks yeah. and sort of institutionally protect each other. Um, and you, you know, this very interesting. I was in, I was in, uh, I was doing a gig in Liverpool, the day after the Hillsborough Memorial, the day before Thatcher's funeral. It's quite an atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> Quite an atmosphere, yeah. a mixture of memory and, and regret and, and you know real grieving and celebration. <laughs> <laughs> but in two thousand and nine, you tried to uh, stop the you petitioned the Queen to not to try and stop the, us paying for Thatcher's funeral. This I was ahead before. of the curve. You were, <laughs> which is a good time to do it when she's still alive. What annoyed me about the Thatcher stuff was it all happened after she died, and so what the fuck? You know, well done. You've there's no victory there. If someone's dead, they've already won. Jimmy Savile has won, as far as I'm concerned. He is the biggest victor we've ever seen. He, he lived his life, he did all his crimes. He got buried sitting up in his grave. 
got his wonderful. It doesn't matter if after his afterwards is is then discredited. He, he you know, and the yeah, same no, with Thatcher. I'll tell you what I'm saying is Mrs. Thatcher is like Jimmy Savile. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. <laughs> <laughs> they both got away with it. You can't celebrate afterwards. So if you're trying to stop what, it, what she became prime minister to cover up any potential court case? <laughs> Not exactly. But I'm saying if you don't, if you to the time to crow or the time to go, we've got the victory is yeah. Is while someone's yeah. still alive. Yeah, no, you know, maybe when she got taken out of office, that was the time to be. Well, well, I was or to show, take her out of office. No, I was doing a show called Manifesto at the time. We'd go around asking people in the audience to come up with suggestions and policies, and each night we'd discuss them with the audience and we'd we vote it. And the weird thing was, in, at that time, the further north you went, the more policies you'd get about Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> so it was, you know, Margaret Thatcher shouldn't have a state funeral. And then you go a bit further north. Margaret Thatcher should have a state funeral every day until she gets up fucking point um, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher should have a state funeral in Barnsley um, in, it was kind of all of that kind of stuff yeah so did you obviously didn't succeed or was it officially not a state funeral the, it, it wasn't officially a, a, a state funeral it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fucking great wouldn't it on the side of the coffin sponsored by gas <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing. I've just been to my grandma's funeral. It's a very odd. Uh, it's a very odd thing, isn't it? Funerals. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being like that. I've got that. There's always room. Yeah. No, they are. Like she's been, we we're in a crematorium, and the uh, it's like they had curtains like this, except they go around. So at the at the end of the the service, these curtains. You know, this is this is the end of it. The cur the curtains kind of trundle around. So it's like the. It's sort of like your life's been a play yeah. and there's been quite a bad, boring final scene where you're in a box for two yeah, weeks. there's no applause. <laughs> <laughs> and these curtains just close and then you've gone off. But I think one of my grandparents' funeral I went to and the, and the coffin was on, was on the conveyor belt and... and started and moving before started, the curtain well, went. It, well, it moves away. It, it moves, so you see it move into the, what you imagine is the furnace. I mean, it can't be. But that's just horror. It's horrific. Yeah. Somewhere in the bowels of the of the crematorium, there's someone going, "Come on, it's opening time. Just fucking push the button." When as, this, we 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 my dad died in April, and so we had the, yeah. the funeral, and um, it was it was really kind of full on proper family. You know, all of us crying, everyone holding each other, following the coffin into the church, and my nephew, who's five, suddenly went. What's in the box? <laughs> and I couldn't breathe. I said, I said the biggest springy snake you've ever seen. I, I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. It's sort of a mixture, isn't it? Because it is such, it's such a solemn experience that it kind of, you feel you have to have laughter in there it's as well. What, one mate of mine died, he's an old mate from school, and it was really sort of particularly horrible kind of drug-linked death. And... Um, I remember standing there in the crematorium and sort of walking towards the thing and this bloke came up in a motorcycle delivery outfit and just started walking across the crematorium and I looked and I suddenly saw this my mate Pete my Pete what are you doing he said I weren't going to come but I got delivery this way <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd just pop in like so he's in his fucking helmet and jacket no, and he's got a parcel on the back of the bike. And it's just and it was the weirdest funeral because I remember we at the end of it, we, we came out that the, they wouldn't let us turn the music up and so they had there was a bit of a tussle with the people around the crematorium. And as we came out, um, 
I was talking to one bloke called Tony, I just went, oh, that was a good old scene off, that was good. He goes, yeah, we've put a couple of golden joints in the coffin. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, golden joints, so we've got everything in them. They've been soaked in everything. We've got E, we've got Coke, we've got Smack, it's fucking everywhere. And they start to walk off, and I said, where are you going? He said, downwind. <laughs> But your show, Bravo Figaro, which I saw at the uh, Tricycle Theatre, I think, was it? No, what's it called? The, um, the one in um, Vauxhall? Yeah, yeah Tricycle. Uh, it was, I mean, it's an amazing show about your, about your dad, his love of opera. Uh, it kind of resonated with me because my granddad, uh, who was the husband of my grandmother, who just died, uh, was, or was also was a builder, and he, and he was massively into opera, and he was furious, and, and all of his friends on the building site were going, you don't really like that, you're being pretentious, you don't. And he would my be dad really... loved it. I mean, yeah, it was, yeah. My dad was, I should explain, my dad was a mixture of, of a lot of things. He was the rudest man ever that I've ever met. <laughs> uh, seriously, he was just, he's fa he was a builder, self-employed builder. Uh, he used to be a Methodist lay preacher uh, and completely into opera. Left school with no qualifications. He was a real sort of mixture of stuff. His favourite swear word, right, he would lean out the, we used to have a comma van, he'd lean out the van. His favourite swear word was, Oi! Cunty bollocks! <laughs> that was his favourite. And if he was being affectionate, he'd go, Oi, come on, toffee bollocks, down here. And toffee bollocks was the affectionate and cunty bollocks was the unaffectionate. And so he was, he was just the, the most... He used to, this, I used to do a routine about him heckling uh, the anti-choice protesters outside clinics, which he did because my mum used to be a nurse. She used to be a midwife in Glasgow before abortion was legal, and so she kind of dealt with that, that reality of it. And she's militantly pro-choice. And it's the one liberal thing my dad got into his body. And I used to do a whole routine about how my dad used to heckle the people outside complaining, going, stop the abortion, stop the... And this is nearly word for word true. My dad used to just lean out the, the window and just go, yeah, Fucking evil bastards, look at yourself bullying people like that, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. Share the fucking vulnerable women like that. Fuck off out of it. Read your Bible, John 14. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it, it was just remarkable to see. It was just fucking remarkable. And he was sort of full of kind of like biblical ire yeah. and just kind of come on in, you fucker. Let's, you know, he was. <laughs> I think that's probably what Jesus was like as well, to be, to be fair. I, I think after the wine, <laughs> Jesus, that was it, he was fine until he'd had a drink. <laughs> what I like, one of the things I like about the, the, the New Testament, which I read quite thoroughly for my show, um, you can, um, you can uh, see the bits that are true, because a lot of it gets changed over the years and you know, different stories come in and then they obviously have to make it work for the prophecies and stuff, so they change stories, so some of them kind of work up. But there's one bit in the Bible which there's no reason for it to be in there apart from that it, it, it happened in the New Testament where his enemies called Jesus a wine-bibber and a friend of bibber, a glutton, a wine-bibber, and a friend of publicans and sinners, which is tax collectors and sinners. So you kind of think, well, that's just definitely true. There's no, you wouldn't put that in as a Christian, because it does, that's You've, not. A... It actually made Jesus sound like Nigel Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus was a sort of biblical UKIP. Yeah. But you know, but I love that fact that he loved, he loved eating, he clearly loved eating and drinking. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, he hung around with, you know, 
with, with women that Sylvia Berlusconi would have hung out with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you can say that's, that's, there's very few facts you can get out there, but that, there's no reason for that to be in the New Testament other than they probably had to put in an early version because everyone knew that about him, so they couldn't really... <laughs> Jesus, he does hang around, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and so, that was that, so, so, so you're saying that the Bible, in fact, New Testament was some form of damage, limitation, <laughs> PR stunt. <laughs> I would say that just was in the story and there was no way of getting rid of it. There was yeah, actually there get was no the, way. Get your version of the story out first. <laughs> I think just everyone knew about him. So I, but I think there's very little about you. You don't really hear much about him as a person, but that is the only like little nugget yeah. of information you get about him as a bloke. So I think he maybe, maybe he was very a, a, a very precocious child. Mm. You know, just it bunks off, hangs around in the temple. Parents come in, what the fuck are you doing? Did you not know you'd find me in my father's house? This is a little bit kind of, yeah. <laughs> fuck off, Jesus. Just fuck off. Yeah, my dad's got, just fuck off. I'm a carpenter, I've got wood, I'll use it. Fuck off. <laughs> but in the Apocrypha, one of the Apocryphal Gospels when he's a kid, there's, there's like stories about him getting angry with his playmates taking the piss out of him and he turns them, what, I think, into pigs. And Do you know, I can't remember that, but I think the, uh, I, I, there wasn't a trick that the pastor did to illustrate that particular <laughs> parable, so I don't remember But it. again, that's like, if you, were, if you were a child and you were the son of God and you were magic... You you'd want to, yeah. do that. You would do that. You get annoyed. Yeah, you fucker. There you go. It's like when my dad was my headmaster. You know, occasionally if someone was kicking me around the sports field, I'd go, "I'll get my dad on you." Yeah, it's the same thing. And if you were Jesus, you'd definitely do that. If you're being given a Chinese burn, you go, "You don't want to do that." You don't know who my dad is. What Joseph, that old carpenter? He's not my real dad. <laughs> don't, don't pay any attention to the first page of the New Testament. It's nothing to do with him or any so, of his relatives. Yeah. No, I, just, if think, I think if I was Jesus, I would do a couple of kind of, you know, just household pranks on the people just pissing you off. Yeah. Just little very localised swarm of locusts. You know, <laughs> little, 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 you know, plague of frogs. So a little thing just flew through. Do you see that little, little midge flew through as he was doing that? So careful what you say about Jesus. That could be, <laughs> that could be Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you a question from a Welsh child. I'm not sure they knew who you were, Mark. Uh, <laughs> they're quite good emergency questions. I might nick some okay. of these. Um, do you prefer Chinese or Thai food? <laughs> Says Archie Van of Late. He's asking some, some quite surreal questions. I, 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 do you know, I couldn't rightly tell you. Really? I do know, there's a lovely place around the corner called the Friendly Inn. Right. Have you been there? I don't know. Is really it nice, Gerald Street. Have you been to Chinese? In Chinatown, do you know what Go there, the woman who runs it is fucking great. Okay. She's great. She's, I always go in there because she just sits there and just takes piss out of everyone. And I walked in there recently with my wife and some friends and she just sat at the front table and go, is he your husband? He was my toy boy, I taught him everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I quite like that. Ben Evans. Yeah. In primary school, I came up with a story about another 11-year-old called Mark Thomas. Shortly after telling my father my story, I found out your name was the same as my character. So my question is, why did you steal my character's name? <laughs> I can't answer that because we are in ongoing litigation. <laughs> but that kid is having their fucking arse <laughs> They're really letting me down, the, ch the Welsh children I employ. I haven't got time to write questions. <laughs> I love the fact okay. that you might, you've got these Welsh children digging at the question mine. <laughs> um, okay, this is quite good. Okay, Jonathan Wright. 
first time question, I think. Would you rather be a cow or a badger and why? <laughs> That's fucking going in. That is an emergency. That is an emergency question. That is. That's going in the book. Why are you answering that? I'll be writing that one down. I think, up until recently, a badger. Yeah, yes. But cow, Neil. Yeah. They both have a pretty hard time of it. And I've, got, I've, I've literally got to write that down, so. So you need to fill while I do this because I can't speak. I've already messed up. Would you rather be a cow, cow or a badger, or and, a badger. W- and why? And why, yeah, <laughs> importantly. Um, what is the... Uh, do you know how many chemicals there are in a carrot? No. Then why should we listen to anything else you have to say? <laughs> But wouldn't that just be brilliant if you could use that in Parliament? Yeah, it it's what John Lloyd said to me. We were arguing about something. He said, do you know how many chemicals there are in a carrot? And I said, one. And he said, no, there's about 20. He didn't even know. He said, there's about 22. But if you don't know that, how can you talk about anything else? But to be fair, he didn't either. <laughs> no. Well, that's it. No one's allowed to discuss that. I like the idea that that would be... That would be also, the defining qualifying... It'd be quite easy to find out. You know, if that was the thing, that was the one no, thing... No, don't find do. out. Never find <laughs> out. I'm never never w- find out. I'm never going to look. <laughs> I'll ask you another emergency question. Um, I can't remember. I've got confused because I've done two. I haven't asked yet, have I, about the... Uh... <laughs> I don't want to do that because he was watching the other podcast, so he knows what's... <laughs> Shh, don't tell him. Don't give him time to... Pre- <laughs> don't give him a clue so he's got time to prepare. If you had to choose between having a ham hand and an armpit that dispensed sun cream. Armpit. And, well, yeah. And why? That's going to, I'm going to put and why on the end of all of my questions. Now. That is genius. Jonathan Evans is a genius. Partly, I think. <laughs> Jonathan Wright, sorry. I think I'd, I'd go for the, for the armpit of, yeah. um, of sun cream. Partly because I quite like the sort of... <laughs> and there'd just be a little dollop of sun cream partly because I was tempted with the ham hand but I heard where the pork scratching fingernails come from and I thought no no yeah that's good and uh, we'd better ask because Andy McH gets annoyed if we don't when you eat asparagus does your wee then smell of asparagus when your wife eats asparagus yes <laughs> and if, when your yeah. wife <laughs> you're right it does. it does you're right some people can't smell their, their own asparagus wee so they some people what kind of freaks are some they some people <laughs> some, fucking no nose freaks some people we most normal people like you and I their asparagus smells of wee and they can smell it not only can we smell it, but we appreciate it. I like it. And we my, can waft. It's one of my favourite things. It's one of my favourite things about as, asparagus. My last tour manager wouldn't eat asparagus because asparagus it made his wee smell. I thought he was insane. That's the reason I eat it. Yeah. Uh, but some and, people... And, and the mayonnaise. The dunking of the, of the spear in the mayonnaise, which oh, I quite don't, like. Don't no, you should that. try that. I will do that. Um... I like griddling them. I griddle the asparagus. I've already told you that. Uh, but, um... Some people... Their wee does smell of asparagus, but their nose doesn't have the receptors to smell that smell. Some people's wee doesn't smell of asparagus at all. What a cruel trick fate has played <laughs> upon them. So, Dave Gorman won't go and smell his wife's wee to discover 
whether it's because she can't smell any asparagus smell, he could just go in and smell it and the, the mystery would be solved. But in your family, you've got a good healthy attitude. Yep. <laughs> we have. So she go, Mark, family, come, come in here. Come on. <laughs> Look at this. Oh. <laughs> it's like opening a bag of planters. Come on. <laughs> um, if you had to have sex with an animal, if you had to, which animal would you choose? You're allowed to choose any animal. You're being your family being held hostage, and they're saying you have to have sex with an animal, or you know, something horrible. <laughs> I don't want to conjure up the exact thing because it's a it's a light-hearted question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get that. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> which animal? But you could choose any animal. The, the giraffe. The, yeah. What yeah. do you like about the giraffe? I think if you're going to get a bad reputation, whatever one you go for, you might as well make it a goodie. <laughs> Would you... And also, they've got incredible tongues, giraffes. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. They have got these incredibly... <laughs> I was looking at it from an Attenborough point of view, but someone had to fucking spoil it. But they have got these incredible sort of tongues that just kind of... Get my old... When I used to tour with Rob Newman, me Rob Newman did a little tour together. Hang on. Where's this story going? <laughs> It was, it was back in the 90s. He, he had access. He, I was feeling down and alone and was sleeping one night in a Masonic lodge and I woke up <laughs> to find a giraffe puppet masturbating. <laughs> um, we, the, the person who was our tour manager, she toured us and, and afterwards she quit tour managing and went to work in London Zoo. Right. And, uh, and, and she took me around the giraffes and they've got these incredible beautiful tongues I like the Akapi for the same one of the same the Akapi the Akapi yeah yeah well I like it also features in the Dam's second album oh does it I, yeah. did not, I didn't realise that Machine Gun Etiquette oh. at the end of one side it goes nibbled to death by an Akapi oh. yeah. I must listen <laughs> uh, next time I'm making love with an Akapi they look like a nice lady from behind with the kind of zebra print trousers on and then I, I, I was I was sold there that was it I was you had me at the, the woman like print. anus but, <laughs> sorry uh, buttocks uh, but uh, but then I discovered but next time I went to see them they wow, you get know their what the anus looked like I just look at that like their buttocks I said you don't look at it state. it's got a fucking tail you must have lifted it <laughs> What are you doing in the enclosure? <laughs> Lifting the carpet tail. Uh, my wife was being held hostage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. That's where a lot of these questions yeah, come and from. And I had the giraffe. <laughs> they come from my experience. <laughs> the way I live in my life. Um, so <laughs> damn, it's terrible when I go to an emergency question and then get confused about where I am. Uh, but um, <laughs> We're on the bestiality section, if it helps. Yeah, no, we'll get back. We'll get back. You, um, you held the world record for the most protests made in a day. I did. That is pathetic. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> You're wrong. I'll tell you what, what it was, was they brought it, Labour brought it along, um, and it was that you had to notify the police if you're going to have a demonstration in Parliament Square and its environs, which is quite a big area. Yeah. And um, a demonstration could count as just one person standing still with a badge on. Right, and that could count as a demonstration. Completely true, my mate was threatened with arrest for having a cake in Parliament Square. She had a cake, and it had the word, and, and the cops came along, just, she was having a picnic. And they said, that's a political protest, and you haven't got permission. And she said, no, it's a picnic. And they went, no, protest, she went, no, doilies. 
and they, <laughs> she went, they went cake and it had the word peace iced upon the cake and they deemed her cake to be a political cake <laughs> uh, and therefore she needed permission from the police or, or notification to be served to the police before she could have her cake in Parliament. So we, we actually, I actually did a whole thing where we just said, right, okay, let's, if you need permission to just stand there with a banner or have a cake, let's play with it. And so I applied for loads and loads of permissions for demonstrations, just to see how far you could push it. And we started, the first one we did, there's a lovely bloke called PC Paul McAnally, uh, who was, he's now sergeant, we still keep in touch. He was a very nice guy. And he ran the, the Charing Cross uh, events unit. And I remember we went in there, a Scottish bloke, and he, I gave him my form the first time I went in there, and he just looked at me and just went, you want permission to demonstrate, to defend surrealism. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, I can demonstrate on anything. He says, you can indeed, I just didn't know it was under threat. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did loads and loads. We actually did do the permission to defend surrealism. We invited the Penrose family, who are like the, the you know, the, the family that was sort of like forefront of the British surrealist movement. And we wrote saying, do you want to come and join us and defend surrealism? And they said, no, but we'll send some objects to represent ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was standing in Parliament Square on a pair of socks. <laughs> it was great. And um, so we did loads and loads of demonstrations. And uh, one of the things we did just to see, because it's a stupid law, um, we decided to see if we could do this thing called the mass loan demonstration, which is one person with one banner needs permission to demonstrate. Then what happens if lots of us apply to demonstrate individually, but at the same time? So we did this mass, and the police have to provide all the paperwork and send you all the permissions and all that kind of stuff. And we did it in Parliament Square, and we all queued up outside uh, Charing Cross Police Station uh, to hand in our bits of paper. And there was what this picture, I'm trying to remember exactly what had this. We, my mate Sean turned up and she had her cut, she had her permission iced on a cake. And she walked in there and the cop was just like, no. <laughs> and she goes, no, it doesn't say anywhere that I've got to put the permission on paper. And the cop just like, oh no. And then he went, ah, oh, but I have to get a photocopy of the document. <laughs> and he was going, oh damn. So the one woman, and this was true, I saw this one woman sitting there and she handed the police officer a paper and he just went, I'm, I'm really sorry, I can't read the writing. And if I can't read the writing, I can't process the form. I wonder if you could just help me out what's going on with the form. And she said, I am a spirit medium. <laughs> and I have channeled the spirit of Sir Winston Churchill who wishes to demonstrate against this draconian legislation. <laughs> and the cop, credit to him, said, okay, why don't I get a new form? You summon up Sir Winston, <laughs> talk me through it, and I'll write it down in a legible hand that we can all understand. <laughs> So he went off and got this one, and you could just keep going. <laughs> so we did all these demonstrations. Then what happened was, I remember talking to Peter Paul McAnally and saying to him, uh, I'm going to do a demonstration on one side of Parliament Square, and then I'm going to move over to uh, the, near the MI5 building. And he said, no, you'll need two, two permissions. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yes, because you can't just, you know demonstrate willy-nilly, you'll just have to, you know, if you demonstrate in one place, you'll need permission. If you demonstrate in another place, then you'll need permission, a second permission. So I said, if I demonstrate in lots of places, I'd need all sorts of permissions. He said, yeah, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and, 
And so I got permission to demonstrate 21 demonstrations in one day. And we got my mates to be my banner bearers. Right, so we had this wheelie bin, and uh, it was we decorated it, and it was full of the banners because we, you know, we had five minutes demonstrating time, so we prepared the banners. And on the inside of the wheelie bin, I'd ri I'd, I'd uh, glued the permission slips, all the permission slips. So if we were stopped at any point, we could just go gaze into the bin of truth, you know, <laughs> and we would have all the legal paperwork. And um, it was great. It was great. We did. There was a major sort of like anarchist demo that was about sort of fighting the the, the, the draconian position on the right to protest. And they, I was like the big sellout because I'd got permission. And it ended up we did all sorts of demos. We did one on Hungerford Bridge to bring back trolls. Um, we did one on the South Bank uh, demanding that st static mimes are banned. Um, we did. Uh, one or outside the MI5, I, th I think it was, we said, oh, that's right, we said that there should be a, a smoking place inside the MI5 because all the spies were having to go outside of a fag, <laughs> which did make them somewhat obvious. <laughs> and we did one outside Channel 4 with Big Brother as shit. We did all sorts of... Uh, we did, I actually did a demo outside uh, Oscar Wilde's favourite brothel. Um, which is now the Church of England Pension Fund office. And I did a demonstration over the, uh, it was over the, it was, it was a challenge to the change of usage legislation that had been inappropriately applied. Um, and so I did all these demos and it finished up with, um, <laughs> we, we had to go into the Parliament Square to finish our last demo. It was all, it was really kicking off. The anarchists were shouting and screaming, police were running around the place. And this cop just goes, stop! Where are you going? And my mate Sam just lifted the lid of the bin and goes, gaze into the bin of truth, for we have permission. And the cop got, so the, he called his commander and the cop just went, right, okay, Mr. Thomas, you've got permission to demonstrate. I want to help you demonstrate. I want to allow your facilitation of the protest. The problem is I've got a public order situation there. Do you understand that? I said, yes, but I do have a legal right. He said, I understand that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to assign these two officers to escort you into the melee so you can demonstrate without any impediment to your demonstration. So in the middle of this fucking anarchist demo, I'm standing with a police escort going, make demonstrating compulsory. <laughs> but, but the nice thing about it was the Guinness Book of or Guinness World Book of Records got yeah. in contact and said, we want to make you world record holder for political demonstration. I said, great, uh, but what, what do I have to do? They said, write your methodology. So. I, I said, well, you have to demonstrate for five minutes, you have to do this, you have to do that. I said, why do you want the methodology? He said, because once you become a world record holder, people will want to beat your record. <laughs> I was delighted. <laughs> Last year ago, a school in Hartford got in contact and just said, our amnesty group has beaten your record. Will you come to the school uh, prize giving to give them the world record certificate for most demonstrations? Brilliant. I went and did it. It's fucking great. Yeah. I was very, very, it was like, it's like, you know, four or five years after doing this thing, these school children go off and beat the record. It's like the punchline arrives five years later. <laughs> it's really nice. And uh, the, you did a gig. Um, in Taunton, because I was very d disappointed to hear, they haven't booked me this time, but the Brew House Theatre in Taunton closed down. They won't book you. Yeah. Uh, not after the uh, Akapi. <laughs> <laughs> they know me too well uh, in Taunton. But they, uh, they, they closed down and yeah. you had a gig booked with them. Yeah. And you ended up doing the, you ended up asking this other is places. Go, I know where this is going now. <laughs> Do you? I do know where this is going. I, because I tell you what happened was, this rather lovely art centre yeah. in Taunton, 
And it's really nuts because you look at other places like Bristol has got 100 and something other quid spent per person on the arts and you go into Somerset and it's like £2 per head. And it's just a real sort of like, there are places like Taunton which really, you know, these are very important sort of community and cultural places. So literally they, the council, the municipal council had a meeting and they shut off all the funding the next morning, they sent in the auditors and they shut the electrics off, they closed down the computers, they shut down everything. And I had a gig there two days later. And so um, I just thought, it's really unfair because people, not only it's shit for all sorts of reasons, but there are people with tickets who can't see the gig, they're not going to get refunded. Uh, there are people who bought tickets who haven't collected it from the box office, they're not going to get, no one's going to get, you know, mm. it's a rip off. So I just asked on Twitter if anyone knew of any venues around there. And somebody replied, this bloke said, oh yeah, I've got a venue, Junction 24, you should come and have a look at it. I, he said, it's a market and, and, and business conference centre. So I went, oh, fine, that would be great, that would be lovely. <laughs> and so uh, we agreed, we told everyone, just turn up, just turn up, doesn't matter if you don't have tickets, just turn up, we'll do the gig in this uh, market come uh, sort of conference centre and, and everyone will be able to see the show and no one will lose money and we'll make a little bit of a protest about the, the whole way in which it's been handled and shut down. And um, my tour manager and tech went down there to rig up and I just got these phone calls left on my answer phone that just went you're going to fucking love it <laughs> you're going to really love it I got when they said market <laughs> I didn't realise they actually meant cattle market <laughs> I did a gig in a cattle market uh, and it was and which you, is you'd rather I, be a badger that's uh... <laughs> <laughs> no I've swapped now oh, not I've swapped now. having lived the life of a cow <laughs> I've, I've seen I've seen the luxury they live in, and so we did a gig in the cattle market, which yeah. is quite nice. I quite like doing those gigs in sort of odd places. Yeah. Well, we did one together at Machantlach Festival. Yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> you, me, and my my wife, uh, we did uh, a gig in a. Well, we, people came on a little steam train. Yeah. And then we did a gig in uh, like eleven o'clock in the morning in the steam train repair shed. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was sort of like this weird sort of like hobbyist comedy gig. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was a lovely little gig. I really, it was, it was kind of, because people were real fans and they'd come on the steam train, they'd go, we are on the steam train, they're great. <laughs> and they'd come sit down and, you know, we all talk about knobs and shit and then they all get on. And, <laughs> and afterwards, because you were running this steam train, weren't you? I was, and we went on, we wanted to ride on the steam train and what I liked is that you didn't, you were like, Oh no, I'll get, I'll get a car park. I don't I've been on a steam train. I don't go on a little steam train. I'm too, I'm Mark Thomas. I'm too cool to do that. I was. Yeah, and, and then I what said, happened, Mark? And then, and then the driver said, would you like to drive it? And I said, yes. <laughs> and it was fucking great. It's really the transformation from grown cynical adult to absolute childish joy is like that. And it happens when you go, great but there was a quite a, a serious incident during your your uh, driving of the train there, there was a stone on the track <laughs> I thought the whole thing was I thought it'd be the most it was like one of those you know really tiny train not like child tiny it was like carriages enough for people to sit in but very small I thought how embarrassing would it be if you killed. died on a child steam train <laughs> going at like 10 miles an hour when it was going it was Walt Disney what done it <laughs> and you would have killed us so that was is that, have you, what, what, other, what other weird gigs have you done you I did a gig once uh, me and Attila Stockbroker and Will Hodgson who's a lovely they're yeah. really nice guys we did a gig in an MP's squatted second home right and we did it in the living room the squatters had just taken over it was during all the expenses and they just went in there and they just phoned up and said, would you do a gig? And I said, certainly. And they said, uh, I said, what's your fund? They said, it's a fundraiser for refugees. I went, oh, that'd be lovely. 
So I just went and did that. So I performed in the living room. That was quite nice. Yeah. Did one in someone's living room the other night in, um, in Marsden. <laughs> is your career not going so well? Like, is that... <laughs> I'm just saying. Venues are closing I'm down. Just saying, playing I'm, cow I'm just saying they think I'm too hot. That's Living all. rooms. <laughs> it does sound slightly Soviet era, doesn't it? I, all, the, all the only places I'll be allowed into now are living rooms. But it was huge fun. Yeah. I really liked it. And in fact, there's uh, uh, some people got in contact with us about. Um, I'm doing stand up in Edinburgh, and uh, they said it's really you know, stand three is really not very good for disabled access. So I got to send this email and said, would you? consider doing a more accessible venue or performing in my living room. Yeah. And so I've, I've gone for the living room option. <laughs> if you want to book me at all. <laughs> but, you know... Don't get booked by that woman laughing over there. She's... <laughs> <laughs> I think she likes you a bit too much. The danger is you go in, it's there, just... Yeah, there is. I've booked you for my living room and no one's coming. It's just you and me and the gaffer tape. <laughs> Can you I got... touch you? Do you like knives? <laughs> you got a lift home from one of the audience members gave you a lift home from they the did, in Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> they drove me from Yorkshire to my house in London. It was great. <laughs> it's very nice. It's a lovely yeah. thing to do. Yeah. It's not, why not? Yeah. And you're, you're doing a new show. Is this, a, is this a, a live show that you're working towards the 100 acts of... The 100 acts of minor descent. Yeah. yeah. Basically, I've got one year from the 13th of May 2013 to the stroke of midnight... 13th May 2014 to commit 100 acts of minor dissent. Okay, and so you did one of the, I'm guessing the Apple store thing that was in the... Uh, yeah, that was one. On we did, we did uh, because Apple have got this habit of having a store in Regent Street and uh, paying their tax in Ireland. <laughs> and I thought that was either a piece of corporate existentialism or we got it all wrong. <laughs> and in fact, the Apple store in Regent Street is in fact Irish territory. So we went in to celebrate its Irishness <laughs> and took in a big banner going, you're now entering an Irish church. You took Kaylee, little Kaylee band, fiddling away, playing the Irish Rover. We had river dance, we had flags. Well, it was great. We gave out song sheets. We only had about sort of 25 of us. And it was really lovely, and you mustn't tell too many people, is we have all our meetings to bring down capitalism in the coffee shop in John Lewis's on the top floor. Because <laughs> it's really good. They'll leave you alone. They, you just get one cup of tea, they'll leave you for fucking hours. It's like a middle-class wimpy. It's great. <laughs> right. And so, so we'd, had, we'd, we'd been rehearsing with the fiddle band in the coffee shop in John Lewis's and then pegged round to Apple. And uh, we just handed out song sheets of the Irish Rover, which is essentially a shopping list of sea goods. So they all seem like we've got so many hams and so many goods and so many of this. The Irish Rover! And that's what they basically do. But it's a good old song. So we handed out to, and strangers just joined in. People joined in. So it, the press reported that we had a mob of 80. Fucking great. That's lovely. And while people were, well, we had this thing where all the, I basically said to everyone doing it, the thing to do is send all the security to me and just carry on, just stay there as long as you can. And so one chap was lovely. He was just standing with a big banner. Um, and with Welcome to Ireland. <laughs> and uh, the security had just gone, you've got to move, you've got to move. He goes, oh, I can't move. I've been told by him to just to stay here until he tells me to move. I don't know what to do. I'm just, <laughs> so there's this whole sort of confusion going on. Security are running around shouting and screaming. There's people singing the Irish Rover. We've actually got a Japanese family in the back of a tourist who've just joined in. And while all of this happens, you know, Apple's got all those computers out on display on the tables, and it's all that you can go and play with the computers, and, you, and so you could use the internet. 
we got loads of other people to go in and just get on the internet and every page brought up a page suddenly going you can buy the same product in John Lewis's around the corner at the same price with a two year warranty and they paid their tax in Britain every fucking computer laptop beautiful beautiful so how many, how many are you up to? How many minor acts have you committed so far in a month in or so? 13 if you include my failed e-petition. Okay. My failed e-petition was that every time uh, a banker says that if I don't get my bonus I'm going to leave the country, it shall be legally binding. <laughs> <laughs> and I did investigate whether it could be a verbal contract, uh, but they wouldn't have it, they wouldn't allow that on. <laughs> oh, we did yeah. have, a, shall I tell you another one? Yes. All right, I'll tell you, we did one the other day with um, two uh, lovely comedians, um, which is Angela Barnes and Grania uh, Maguire, who were just really nice. And what we did was we went round, in sort of smart but work-like clothes, um, we went round a, a, a well-known department store that shall remain Harrods. <laughs> <laughs> and we have notebooks and pens, and we point at things and make notes and all that. And I've got a high-vis jacket, all of us have got high-vis jackets. On the back of my high-vis jacket, it says, Shoplifter, instructor. <laughs> and on the back of theirs, it's got shoplifter in training. <laughs> we lasted 10 minutes, 10 minutes in Harris, right? And at one point, this bloke just comes up and goes, can I help you? Can I show you anything? Is there anything you'd particularly want to look at? You know, gentlemen's outfits, linen, jewelry. Oh yes, sir. <laughs> And when the security came, what's going on? I'm browsing. <laughs> so it's, it's, it was fun. And then we, we lasted 20 minutes in Selfridges. <laughs> 20 fucking minutes in Selfridges. They've just been robbed. Right? People are wandering around with a jacket going, shoplifter. And strangely, they just couldn't get it together for 20 minutes. <laughs> but I suppose it's, it's, it's kind of fun to do these things through comedy and it does make a, a, a better point than... Well, I think the thing about the whole thing about you know, you know, the the point is is that there's one Apple company uh, which are registered in Ireland because well they're in Ireland and what basically they do is they tell the American authorities that they're incorporated in Ireland, they tell the Irish authorities their headquarters are in America, they pay zero tax on thirty billion, zero, zero, not a penny anywhere on thirty billion dollars. And actually, these people are immoral. This, this kind of tax dodging has an effect. And the effect is, it actually, we're, we're bearing the brunt of the cuts. So it's actually, these people, if they paid their taxes properly and didn't go on the dodge, then we could have a proper health service and we could have proper schools and we could have all that kind of stuff without, and we could have, you know, like the disability living allowance and things like that. Things that will actually really materially affect people's lives. We could have if these fuckers paid their tax. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. People seem to be realising it, but then I also think that people, I mean, people are so apathetic, you, you kind of feel it's difficult genuinely to change anything. But I think, I, mean, I think that's a cynical way of looking at it. But well, things, things change, change all the time. Yeah. Things change all the time. You know, the fact that we've got a health service was because people got up and fought and campaigned for it. The fact that people can read and write, people actually campaign for years on. You know, that's, that's what happens. Things materially change. The fact, you know, we've got Nelson Mandela, who, as you cruelly pointed out, on his own death's door, <laughs> you racist right. fucking <laughs> bastards. <laughs> I heard him backstage going, I hope the black one goes first. It's fucking outrageous. That's the opposite. I was racist against White no, no, you said that backstage. <laughs> oh, when they weren't looking, you were going, fucking Mandela. <laughs> fucking terrorist bastard, I hope he goes. <laughs> and do you remember, you had the armband on. <laughs> 
Strange It's like Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> and the moustache. Uh, but uh, it's been done. It's been done. Um, I don't know if you've been uh, admiring my... Um, these are put here to intimidate you. The, uh, I've got a Chortle Award. Yeah, lovely. And uh, Bron, it's really looking worse for work. I'll have to... Like every time I bring it in, you know, a bit more that, chips off. There's there's little bits that have chipped off, yeah. and I don't. I feel reticent to say it looks like a penis abrasion. <laughs> <laughs> but you must. I be, think you do love your award, don't you? You must be uh, pretty jealous of those because you um, you've got, haven't had, you've got the Kurdish National Medal of Honor, but yeah, doesn't really compare, does it, to the Sony Sony Bronze Award? So I'm, I'm presuming. You must oh, you've got a bronze. Yeah, I got a bronze. Oh, I didn't know that's what they look like. It's three times as good. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I've got a silver. Yeah. No. Oh, it's completely different. It's completely well, different. Well, I don't remember the silver age, so... Uh, <laughs> don't remember that happening. No comic nerds come in. Don't you nerds come in and go, it's, it's an age in comics. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about real bronze age. It's an important age. It's, uh, You've got an international service award for global defence of human rights, but have you got a chortle award for internet comedy? That is my question to you. <laughs> You must be feeling, all I'm saying, you must be feeling pretty small. I am, I am intimidated. I just tell you, when I got this, it, it was the United Nations International Services Association Award as Global Human Rights Defender. Yeah. And they phoned up and said, we're going to make you a Global Human Rights Defender. And I said, do I get a cape? And, <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of went, oh. <laughs> so my, my dad was alive. My mum uh, was looking after him and he was quite ill. So I didn't tell my mum I'd won this thing and I thought, I won't tell her. Because, you know, I just don't want to... She's, it's just stuff, you know. And she found out. And I phoned her and just said, Hi, Mum, how's it? Oh. Phone me now, do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I meant to tell you I've got this award. Oh, did you? <laughs> and um, it's being presented in Parliament. <laughs> would you like to come? No, I think I'm busy. <laughs> come on, Mum, would you come? It'd be really nice if you all right, I'll give you So she came along to this award ceremony. It was on the terrace in Parliament and they have this big sort of tent thing. And there's really brilliant people there. Like, there's incredible campaigners. And it was one of those things where you just go, this is nuts. There's one woman who won and she was a campaigner in Mexico because uh, there's loads of horrible sort of like, there was abductions of women and beheadings and all sorts of weird awfulness. Um, and she was standing up to all this incredible sort of mafia and all sorts, you know, the, the Mexican kind of cartels and all this stuff. And she was brilliant. She was just amazing. It was just sort of like an honour being in the same room as her. And then they go, and now Mark Thomas wins it, and he's all going, no. <laughs> and I don't know, in, in Parliament, they've got, everything's got the Paul Cullis logo on it. Like, so all the chairs, all the plates, everything, everything's got Paul Cullis logo on it. And um, so I went up on stage to get this award, and I, I said, thank you very much. And John Snow was going round for Villa, and I looked, and I saw my mum trying to put a plate into her hand. <laughs> I'm getting an award and my mum is trying to fucking steal a plate. <laughs> and did she get away with it? No, I made her take it out. <laughs> How rebellious is that? Go and put that plate. It's not your property, is it? <laughs> and the thing I wanted to ask you about the Mark Thomas project, Product. which got... I like to get these things wrong. Uh, are you sure? Uh, now you mention it. Yeah. No, you're the wrong. Mark, the Mark Thomas project it says in here, so <laughs> But it also says <laughs> in this Slytherin book, oh maybe that, that that dastardly snake has probably changed it. <laughs> maybe it is, it could be enchanted. Why because it do you think it did it did it why did it end? Why did it get taken off? Because it sort of feels like 
you pissed too many people off. Is that the way reason it got taken off? The reason that we did it, we didn't get taken off. I said I didn't want to do any more. Right. And part of it was that's what I said about fist of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm, I'm being honest. <laughs> but the thing is, it was people started this attitude on the production team began to get a bit, oh, we know how we can do this. It used to be that when we sort of like, when I was going to do something, I'd go to bed the night before, I'd be so nervous, I'd hardly sleep. And, and then it got kind of like, I got used to sort of doing nutty things, do you know what I mean? Just sort of walking into people's, you know, politicians' homes with, you know, whatever. And um, it got to the point where they, I was doing some filming and they said, can we, we've got a, a, a decommissioned missile on a, on a little frame that you can wheel along uh, and it's got to be delivered to your house and can we leave it in your front garden? And I said, yeah, all right. So they delivered this decommissioned missile in the front of and it got so kind of like that was the world that I lived in that my son woke up and just went, there's a missile in the garden. <laughs> and and it, it became very normal and natural. And I'd start to wake up and I haven't had a good night's sleep rather than worrying about what was going to happen. Yeah. And uh, it became very... Everyone went, oh, we know how we do this. And so the surprise of it and the thrill of it was sort of lost. And then I had a meeting with someone at Channel 4, and, I, and I've said this before, but basically, whenever you go for meetings with television people, you should always take a friend or a trade union rep <laughs> and you regard it as, a, as a kind of, some kind of disciplinary hearing. Do you know what I mean? And so I went in there, and this person from Channel 4 says, we've got this great idea. What we want to do, Mark, is we want you to make a programme and then she said the name of the programme. And the person who was in the room with me said, don't, don't say anything else, because he'll go and talk about this. And she went, no, no, it's a great idea. And I got up and walked out and said, no, I'm not doing that. And I walked away. And that was the end of it. The programme they asked me to make was Celebrity Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, you just have to go, oh, hang on a minute, I used to have dignity. <laughs> Isn't that just Big Brother anyway? <laughs> <laughs> but it was. They seriously yeah. wanted me to do this thing, and it was kind of like, no, let's let's yeah. not do that. And then, so I mean, you're doing this on your own anyway. I mean, that's the that's well, the, that's the interesting the autonomy thing. Of, the, of the way that Apple thing worked. That was world news again. You know, it was quite was. weird world news because I got an in, I did an interview with the BBC in Boston, and the bloke there that was just going, so how effective do you think your action was? I mean, do you think it's had much outreach? It's like, well, mate, you're in Boston. <laughs> you know, so, you know. and, and that was. Yeah, it was, it's a brilliant thing. I think this is a really exciting thing, is you do an action like that, and people naturally bring their phones along, and they film it. And then you can, they edit, I didn't ask anyone to film it. In fact, a bloke who asked to film it, he made a right pig's ear of it, it looked shit. But everyone else who just bought their camera and their phone, and it just filmed it, and cut it together, and put it up on the internet, and yeah. just went, this is what we've done. And that's brilliant, that you can just cut out the whole industry of television you just go because yeah, nowadays you would have gone filmed it you'd have had three cameras you'd have just worked for ages and ages you'd have had a lawyer just hanging out the back of every movement and then this just happens and it's up on the web within hours I think yeah. it's really exciting yeah I think it is so yeah um, we look, look forward to what it, crazy adventures you'll get up to next but um <laughs> You know, <laughs> have you ever seen a Bigfoot? Though that's the question there that everyone wants to. That's what everyone wants to know. Have you ever seen? You've travelled the world a lot. Probably I have. I have seen a Bigfoot when you on your travels. Yes. Oh, I knew it would come good eventually. <laughs> 
that yes. was patience. Yeah, where did yes. you see a Bigfoot? Bizarrely, um, <laughs> I saw this Bigfoot. It was, it was a whole kind of weird truth or dare situation, and there was no giraffes or a copy's left. <laughs> um, no, is the answer. Oh, it's true. I've never seen a Bigfoot. Just I played with us. I, you know, I just dangled. <laughs> and uh, you were in the Mary White, White House experience. What? Yeah. With Rob Newman and David Baddiel yeah. and uh, TV's punt and Dennis. Yes. And Joe Brand. Joe Brand was in it on the radio version. Yeah, 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 yeah. Had what, what happened? Why weren't you on the TV version? I think I fucked everyone off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, you know, I've been performing for about three years and something like that. I think I was only 26 or something, or 24, 25. Yeah. And you're just full of, you know, you're just full of, ah, they're all fucking wankers. They don't know bollocks. <laughs> and then you just, you know, and instead of going, I wonder if I might contribute a line towards your sketch that I think might just improve it, but please knock it back if you don't think it will. You just go, that's shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I think probably my abrasiveness just cost me friendship. Oh. You could have been the punt and Dennis. Now you could be you doing the punt and Dennis stuff now. Yeah. That could, that could be anyway you. it's turned out alright <laughs> <laughs> so look it's been a long night isn't it you alright I'm a bit you alright you still got some juice in you yeah <sighs> how are you feeling mate yeah do you want to carry on for a listen bit let's, I'll tell you what why don't we just fucking go until they all piss off <laughs> go until they piss off yeah. uh, one day I'd like to do it one day but uh, today might not be the you, day <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, <laughs> Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and Samuel. Yeah, that might get them out. But if we, <laughs> it's what Andy Kaufman used to do. The, those kind of things. I really like that idea. He used to play. He used to read The Great Gatsby from cover to cover. I love all that. We yeah. did this. I was doing a gig in Stratford the other day, and it was Stratford. So it was a lovely little uh, theatre there. And this bloke got up uh, in the middle of the show. So it was sort of forty minutes odd in, and he just got up and it came down and it just started walked right across the stage and you can't avoid it and it's a sort of little sort of ATC you know so he comes down walks across the thing and he walks out and I, I turned and said to the person who's sitting next to him, do you know that man and he said yes he's my partner I said what's his name we found out his name was Ricardo <laughs> right and I said do you know what's the nature of the ablution and how much time we have <laughs> and so he, we, I said, he said oh he, he'll be gone for a little bit I said okay and so I said, tell me something about him. Tell me something about Ricardo. And he said, well, it's his birthday in two and a half weeks' time. I said, well, wouldn't it be great if someone had a birthday card on them now that we could just give to the person doing a bookstore and we'll sign it at the end secretly and then you can take it and give it to him. And somebody pulled goes, I have! And they had a birthday card. And so he put it on the bookstore and afterwards everyone was going to sign this, this card. Right? Just kind of to Ricardo. And the blokes had gone. They'd fucked off. Oh, really? So we're all standing there just going, oh, this is shit. We've signed this card. We're all full of human spirit and joy. And you fucked off, you bastard. And suddenly his partner, whose name's Mike, comes rushing and goes, I've had to leave him in the pub. Actually, I've told him I've come to get a book give me the card give me the card give me the card and so I forgot all about it and then the other day I got this email that just goes it was his birthday the other day there was shock surprise swearing and joy and I kind of like that fact that a group of complete strangers went let's all be in on this little gag that's gonna we won't see the ending of it but two and a half weeks from now someone's gonna go huh? I love stuff like that yeah Let's do that. So you go out, Hano, it won't work. <laughs> it won't work. We've given away the trick. Seriously, no we've got a surprise present. <laughs> <laughs> That's no one's getting that. Next week's guest is, Izzy, right. is Izzy Sooty, who, uh, who won the gold award. Not as good, it's not as good, though, is it? Was there a gold age? 
It wasn't Bronze Age. If she comes in with an ice award, I'm going to be fucking impressed. That's what I'm saying. If she has something made out of stone, good honour. Uh, and we'll have another guest as well next week. I don't know who it is yet. Know any famous people? <laughs> Only like the people from this. the Mary White experience. <laughs> we could get the whole cast of the Mary yeah, White experience. It'd be like a week. reunion gig. <laughs> Slightly awkward reunion yeah. gig. With so, Dennis going, why didn't you like that joke we wrote? <laughs> About John Majors. Yeah, and I'd be going, it wasn't just one. <laughs> it's kind of a... I, 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 I don't have that much of a problem with Punt and Dennis. But... <laughs> It's kind of amazing they're still doing that show, don't you think, the Now Show? I love the fact that every Now Show, they manage to get in a sketch where they compare the economy or the political situation with The Great Escape. <laughs> <laughs> and there is always some point an impersonation of, of, I can't see, I'm blind, I'm blind, every fucking series. I think it's time for the BBC to move on to a new, younger generation. <laughs> Maybe people under... Th- 45, good to <laughs> There was, you know, Barry Cryer was on. Have yeah. you had Barry on this? Uh, I've had him on the Edinburgh version oh, of this. Oh, fuck, he goes, doesn't he? He does He's go. brilliant. And I, I was, he was doing a show, he was doing a Radio 4 recording, it was one of those sort of channel, you know, those quiz things. And he told a gag, and afterwards the producer went up and said, Barry, I wonder, we're just going to do a few uh, retakes. Barry, could you do something a bit different? Because you've done that joke twice on Radio 4 <laughs> programmes already. And Barry turned around, I'm 84, fuck off. <laughs> Uh, do you do get it's worth though with Barry you do get the same story every now and again but yeah but you know what it's it. great it's always good hearing well, I, did, time. We did, uh, I did a gig with John Cooper Clark at the London Palladium we did Sunday night at the London Palladium a couple of weeks back and it was brilliant John Cooper Clark see him because he's had the greatest form I've ever seen he's just amazing at the moment and uh, Barry was back so there's a whole load of us there's Shuttleworth and you know uh, Barry Cryer and all that and um and of course, Barry just starts on the kind of all oh, London Palladium. He said, Oh, Tommy Steele, when he played here, he was doing Singing in the Rain, but he pissed off all the stagehands and technicians. So when he comes to the end going, I'm singing, it wasn't rain. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, each night the techies are going, You're going to top up the tank? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> My mate Paul, though, I used to have this lovely tour manager who was this great 18 stone East End boy who'd worked all the West End theatres. And, I, and I, he was just great. He said, oh, fucking lovely old days where you sort of do the fucking spot, follow spots. And you get right up in it, fucking right at the top. He said, You couldn't move. You couldn't move for like three and a half hours. You were just stuck up there. You couldn't come down, right? So you have to drink spirits. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, Apart from my mate. <laughs> who, who stayed on the beer and had a very elaborate system of piping and a funnel. <laughs> <laughs> and next time you're in the London Palladium, just think flowing through the tube somewhere backstage. Oh dear, and on, on to Tommy Steele's head. I heard that at the end of the to- that run of Tommy Steele uh, doing that, he kind of came and gave really elaborate presents to all of the crew and said, oh, I'm sorry, I know I can be a bit of a tyrant, I know I can be a bit, I'm just trying to do my job as best as I can. And then he gave everyone lovely presents and it was lovely to him at the end. Yeah, but That was they, the punchline I heard to that story. I, 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 I heard that too, but I heard no one would shake his hand to me like Look, I'm just, I'm tired. <laughs> do you know, I, I'm quite hungry, I'm a bit tired. I, I think we could Chris. do... 
I'm going to be the first one. Why out. don't we go around the friendly end to see what <laughs> what happens? <laughs> yeah, if you like. Yeah. All, right. All right, cool. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give a massive round of applause to Mark Thomas. You have been listening to Richard Herring's Letter Square Theatre Podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Mark Thomas. The music was by Pest. Ooh, listen to it. It's nice. Listen to the lyrics. Oh, there aren't any. Thank you very much to Orange Mark and everyone at the British Comedy Guide. It's mainly just him and his friend Aaron. Uh, and to Chris Evans, not that one. And everyone at Go Faster Strike is just his strange friends. They are weird. Try to touch me. Keep them away from me. Thank you very much to my producer, Ben Walker. And it, well, that he produced it. That is who he is. It is the Sky Potato Fuzz and Go Faster Strike production for the internet. Add like them Sky Potatoes. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a lot of stuff for free, isn't it? You might want to give something back. And if you do, there are loads of ways you can. You can go to www.gofasterstripe.com where you can either buy the videos of these podcasts or you can buy a DVD or one of my books. I am at the Edinburgh Fringe performing my new show. We're all going to die at the Pleasance Beyond at 8 o'clock. You can go to www.pleasance.co.uk or edfringe.com uh, and buy tickets for that. Also for the Richard Herring's Edinburgh Fringe podcast at The Stand every day at 2.10 in the afternoon. My producer Ben also has a show up in Edinburgh, Do the Right Thing, fantastic panel show that goes out on the internet as a podcast. What are these podcast things? You can buy tickets for that at edfringe.com. He also has a show uh, with Pappies, uh, the Pappies Flatshare Slamdown, which will be recording an episode at the Soho Theatre on July the 8th. There are hardly any tickets for that, so go and buy them quick from the Soho Theatre website. Uh, thank you for supporting this. If you have done, uh, do if you can't afford to buy any of that stuff, please just tell a friend you've enjoyed the podcast and recommend they listen to it as well. That would be lovely. Thanks very much. See you next week. Bye.